Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, a prisoner called Brendan Cummins currently resides in the National Violence Reduction Unit in the Midlands. But in effect, this is solitary confinement. He's in a cell for 23 hours a day and he's been there for the last three and a half years. Now he's suing the state on the basis that this form of incarceration is making him more violent, not less. Conor Gallagher is the Irish Times crime and security correspondent. Afternoon, Conor. Afternoon, John. Uh, could you start by telling us something about uh, Brendan Cummins and his track record? It does seem to have quite a lot of violence in it. Yeah, uh, Brendan Cummins uh, is a 27-year-old uh, man. He's born in Dublin and uh, he had a pretty tough upbringing. Um, uh, he, was born, sorry, he was born in England, moved to Dundalk when he was a child. And from the age of 15, basically, he spent... Uh, nearly every year of his life in prison with some gaps in between. And during those gaps, he would invariably commit another assault and go back into prison or commit an assault in prison uh, while he, uh, you know, on an officer. Um, So he previously served a sentence in Port Lease for uh, uh, punching a prison governor. He was released in 2019 and in 2019 went on a really incredibly violent spree. Uh, he In April of that year, he launched a random attack on a man in a Dublin park. He used a standing knife to cut the victim from his lip to his to his uh, top of his head, basically. Uh, the next month, he was drinking with a, a group of friends and started to slash at one of the males uh, with a blade, uh, ordering the others to film him while he did it. The victim actually managed to escape by jumping out an upper window and, and broke his leg. So in June, Gardy went to arrest them for those offences, June 2019, and they went in, you know, the, uh, armed, you know, heavily armed Gardy went in with ballistic shields because they knew how violent he was, you know, burst into his house and then Cummins came out with a samurai sword and attacked them and uh, dented one of the guard's shields and, you know, luckily the, the shield protected the guard. And they, they finally got him into custody and in custody, uh, his violent tendencies have, haven't debated, uh, to put it mildly. Yeah. Uh, even when he's been in this uh, reduction unit, he still found the opportunity to be violent there. That's right. So this uh, violence reduction unit, the National Violence Reduction Unit, it, it, it's a very small unit, only nine cells in the Midlands prison. And it was opened in 2018 uh, and it's based on a model in the UK. And it's, it's, it's designed to deal with that less than 1% of the prison population who are just incredibly violent and, you know, in really need both intense security around them and intense uh, psychological intervention. So what you've got, is you've got incredible, you've highly trained staff, specially trained staff in this unit. And the idea is that they would be kept in a, a space where they can be uh, treated. They would have intensive psychological uh, uh, sessions and regular sessions, much more access to professionals than other prisoners might have but all in a very, very secure setting. And Cummins, because of his record, has been in the most secure uh, status, even within that violence reduction unit. So he is uh, locked up for 23 hours a day. Uh, he gets one hour uh, exercise alone outside. Um, his cell, his, his lawyers say his dinner is you know, basically pushed under the door. And whenever he is moved, uh, he is uh, uh, subject to what's called barrier handling. And that's kind of the technical term for surrounded by prison officers in riot gear uh, and, and holding riot shields. Um, 
uh, and that's you know that's for him to go to his exercise, for him to go to a medical appointment, whenever he leaves his cell, basically. Uh, and I suppose what's that's not that unusual. It is unusual, but it happens from time to time. What's unusual in Cummins' case is the length of time it's been going on for. He's been mm. in this uh, under this status for three and a half years, and his legal team have uh, said that you know the UN considers uh, more than fifteen days in solitary confinement uh, as a form of torture. And of course, the prison office, the prison service would say they have no choice because of uh, his, his very very violent tendencies and his record. And is he receiving the, the, the psychological services that the, the prisoners in this unit are supposed to receive? He is. So he, he, he has sessions with a, with a psychotherapist, uh, to, uh, but it's through a screen. And, uh, it, you know, so, so, so he is getting that, but how useful it, it is, is very questionable. Um, so just since he's been in, 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 in this violence reduction unit, he's continued attacking guards. Uh, on one occasion, he asked the guard to bring a toilet roll to his cell and then threw boiling water on, his, uh, on the guard. Another occasion, he attacked uh, two guards and, 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 and caused them injuries. So um, the psychological uh, interventions maybe not having the, the, the desired effect, he has said... Uh, one psychological assessment carried out by his own uh, defence team uh, says that actually him being in prison has exacerbated these uh, this anger and, and, and these aggressive tendencies and he actually told a, a psychologist that he becomes aggressive towards prison guards in order to break up the boredom basically of being in a 23 hour lockup. Uh, so uh, Cummins is actually now suing the state and suing the prison service um, the quash. Uh, so the rule that he's in there is Rule 62, and that's the rule basically. The prison service don't like to call it solitary confinement, but that's what it is in effect. It's that you know he's removed from the general prison population and doesn't have access to structured activities, and that there's the so Cummins and his legal team are seeking the quashing of that uh, Rule 62, um, saying you know it's been going on for too long and not enough assessments have been carried out and he hasn't gotten enough material. He hasn't gotten, you know, the records relating to it that he should have access to. Um, so that is before the courts in January. And, and Cummins is also facing sentence and in the prison in January as well. Um, mm. So that's his position. And it would be for a high court judge to uh, decide on that. And, and if they're successful, that would that mean that the entire unit has to be disbanded? No, no, I, I wouldn't say so, and that's not what the, his legal team are, are are seeking. They're seeking just very limited in in his case that it be quashed, uh, and that it's not you know it's not helping him. Uh, it's not reducing the violence. Now, I haven't we haven't got the response from the prison service to their case yet, but um, you know presumably the prison service are going to say well they have an obligation to keep their staff safe as well, and you know that's you know. Uh, that's why they're required to take such extreme measures. In the past, the courts have been uh, very reluctant to get involved in telling the prison service how they can manage their affairs. Um, so, it, you know, it, this could go either way, obviously. But I suppose it's the fact that he's been in there three and a half years. It shows the difficult questions these are. When you've got such an incredibly violent prisoner, the only way you can often deal with them is by taking these extreme measures. But then one of those extreme measures only serve to make them more violent. You know, it's uh, 
they're very awkward questions. Um, and mm. I suppose it also shows that, and, 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 and I think prison officials would admit this, this violence reduction unit, you know, it's not a panacea. It's, 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 it's not a, certainly not a quick fix. Um, and uh, people, it takes a long, long time for it to have uh, effect. And, and, and maybe in some cases it, it won't work at all. And all you can do is, uh, as grim as it is to say, contain the problem. Yeah, uh, though, of course, it is called the National Violence Reduction Unit. Is there any evidence either way that it has worked for other prisoners? Yeah, not that uh, I, I interviewed uh, an official there a couple of years ago, just a couple of years after the unit uh, opened. And uh, he told me that there has been uh, some reduction in violence um, now. It's not clear if that reduction in violence is tied to the uh, very, very strict security measures in place uh, within the prison and, and the very limited uh, movement uh, that the prisoners are allowed to uh, engage in, or if it's a result of these uh, intense psychological interventions. But, uh, you know, I was also told it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, and, and these things can often take years to, uh, to, 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 to work. And sometimes the problem is that a prisoner would be undergoing this therapy and then their prison sentence would be over and they'd be out and invariably they would offend again but their, their treatment has been completely interrupted and they don't continue that treatment in the community either so you know there's lots of different difficulties that can uh, you know, interrupt things yeah now the, as you say the case is, is scheduled for the new year will it be a drawn out affair or will it be relatively short We'll have to see what the prison services uh, case is, but it's a judicial, it's a judicial review, so no, it won't be a, a long, drawn-out trial. Uh, uh, it would be something that, you know, it would be a fairly uh, mess uh, decision for the, for the judge to take. In the past, they have been reluctant to get involved in the running of prisons. Um, this is quite, this is a case on the extreme end, three and a half years, but the judge will also presumably have to ask, what is it, the alternative? Um so we will, uh, we, we will should find out the prison services position in January anyway. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and also, I should ask, while you have it, Connor, because uh, Connor has a, a book coming out in the new year in June next year uh, called Is Ireland Neutral? Uh, <laughs> that's a very big question, I thought. Are you trying to answer that question or are you looking at our relative degrees of neutrality over the years? Yeah, I, I'm, I, a very different subject to what we we're talking about. But yeah, I, I, I'm basically trying to answer the question of, you know, can we call ourselves neutral and have we ever been neutral? So it's a, it's a look back on the history of neutrality uh, all the way to pre-independence, um, up toward during, you know, the emergency in World War Two, joining NATO, why we didn't join NATO. You know, a lot of people think we didn't join NATO because we were neutral. The reason we didn't join NATO is because uh, we tried to use it as an attack to end partition and say, well, we'll join NATO if you give us back the North. Um, the Americans uh, uh, basically told us to get lost. You know, so the, there's kind of a few myths around neutrality. It's certainly not an anti-neutrality book, but it's a look at, you know, have we ever been neutral? And if we want to be neutral in the future, we need to define what that means and what it means mm. in like a globalised world when we're you know, tuned in, we're part of all these EU mechanisms and UN peacekeeping mechanisms. So it's a history and uh, a kind of journalism as well mixed in. Yeah. Uh, would it be fair to say, though, it's becoming extre- uh, uh, increasingly difficult, more difficult to remain absolutely neutral? 100%. And, 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 and I think a lot of the people, I've interviewed a lot of military figures, diplomats, politicians, and, you know, they would broadly agree with that, I think, because... 
if you've got something like the EU, uh, now the EU doesn't have a common defence clause yet, but it's got some things that come quite close. And while we do have opt-outs, um, there is there are a lot of people questioning, you know, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, do we owe an obligation to other EU countries if they were to come under attack, for example? Unlikely to happen, but, you know, stranger things mm. have happened. Do we owe a moral obligation um, to come to their aid, and what would that aid look like? Should it be military aid? Should it be what we've provided Ukraine, which is, you know, uh, we've actually provided Ukraine military aid, and non-lethal military aid, but we've provided, you know, helmets for their soldiers and fuel for their tanks. We're not providing bullets for the guns, but we're providing everything else. Uh, and that's a massive change, you know, and, and it's very hard to say we're a neutral country when we're doing that. But I think most people would support us doing that, which raises the question, you know, should we be calling ourselves neutral at all, or should we be calling ourselves something else? And, uh, you know, the conclusion I kind of came to was the best thing is freedom of, freedom of action. For Ireland to be free in whatever decisions it takes. So not to be tied into a military alliance, but also not to be tied to this pure definition of neutrality, which means we can't uh, come to another country's aid if we want to, and if it's the moral thing to do, which isn't a million miles away from where we are now, but it would be good to be, have a more frank discussion uh, of what we want to be regarded as in terms of neutrality. Yeah, that would involve getting rid of the triple lock then, would it? Given that it, well, that requires some sort of UN approval. That's that's another aspect of, uh, you know, it, it seems to me quite contradictory to neutrality because uh, with the triple lock you have uh, Russia, China... America, France, England, or UK, sorry, uh, they're all on the uh, Security Council. They all have a veto. So if there's a peacekeeping mission uh, we want to get involved in, uh, we can't do it if one of them vetoes it. And, you know, Russia has been vetoing missions uh, in the past. And, indeed, America has done it too in the past, and so has the UK and France. So that freedom of movement is, is very limited by the triple lock. And uh, it, it seems to me that that's something we should at least examine or at least debate whether the triple lock should perhaps be replaced by another safeguard, such as a decision by the EU Commission or uh, or something else. I think people like the idea of some, you know, other, uh, some control over what, tro- what troops can or where we can send troops, um, but should that be subject to a veto of a country like Russia, uh, I'd argue it should. Mm. Is there a consensus among the Irish military? Uh, the Irish military have a varying views, but they would certainly be in favour of closer cooperation with other militaries. Uh, so we're already involved in Partnership for Peace, which is a NATO mechanism. And that was set up uh, in the 90s. Um, it was called by, you know, it was identified for, it was described by some very senior people involved as nearly a waiting room for NATO. And it has been a waiting room for NATO for some countries, particularly in Eastern Europe. For Ireland, it absolutely hasn't. It's been quite good at uh, improving the status of our defence forces and uh, subjecting them to regular reviews and that sort of thing. But uh, there's, we've never moved on to the next stage. So uh, countries like Finland and Sweden and Ukraine as well, they've both, uh, they all moved on to Partnership for Peace too. And in Finland and Sweden's uh, case, that precipitated them becoming full NATO members. The NATO, NATO have actually asked us repeatedly to move up to partnership for peace too, which is just a more intense uh, level of cooperation, and we've said no. So there's a real fear in government, certainly, of 
becoming more involved with NATO. Defence forces like it, not because they want to join NATO, but because uh, the more contact which you have with other advanced militaries, the more effective you are. And that is the case with uh, all these European defence initiatives, which there are many, uh, you know, uh, where we're going to be contributing troops to this new battle group system, which mm-hmm. is going to go online in 2024. Ireland will be among the first countries contributing troops. We're going to contribute a company, a mechanised a mechanized infantry company, um, and they're going to be uh, responsible for crisis response and humanitarian interventions worldwide. And that's, you know, that might have implications for neutrality, but it also improves the defence forces because they can train with the best, learn these tactics. Uh, and it's not necessarily warfighting tactics, but, you know, a wide, wide range of, of, of different skills. Yeah. Connor, uh, thanks a million uh, for speaking with us today. I predict controversy in your future when uh, that book comes out. Uh, it's called oh, Is Ireland Neutral? <laughs> comes out in June uh, of next year. Happy Christmas to you, Connor. Thanks a million. Thank you. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.